hello everyone and welcome to Andy Here's the 80s Christmas Spectacular here on the show where we normally try and find the best albums of the 1980s. We're taking a listen right now to a very special Christmas compilation released in 1987 on A&M Records as a benefit of the Special Olympics. But I am, of course, not alone on Christmas. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Aaron Keck. How are you, Aaron? Hello, how are you? Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. You started with the Santa Claus voice, and for a brief flickering moment, I uh, I thought about joining in as as an elf, but I probably <laughs> cannot keep up that voice for an entire hour. Yeah, I I think I barely kept up a Santa voice for the ho ho ho, <laughs> so I don't, I don't blame you. Imagine what Santa has to do. I mean, God. <laughs> oh jeez, I can't even imagine. Hundred years. <laughs> I've been keeping my roof extra clean just so he doesn't fall off and <laughs> take over. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Well, before we dive in, I want to ask, uh, have you heard this album before? Uh, no and yes. Mm-hmm. So I hadn't heard the album before. I actually wasn't familiar with it, to be honest, until you mentioned it for for this particular episode. But then I went and you mentioned it, it came out in 1987. That's the time when I'm like young seven, eight-year-old Aaron is uh, growing up and, you know, driving around with his parents as mm-hmm. they're they're going out and about my mom listened to the light rock station so during the holiday season they would sh- shift into christmas song format and this was a hugely popular album even though i personally hadn't heard of it it was it was an extremely popular album as christmas albums go so i hadn't heard of the album i hadn't listened to it all the way through but i am very familiar with most of the songs on it because they all were in heavy rotation on the on the light rock station during during the holiday season for several years if i recall yeah, and some of totally. them you still hear today. Definitely, and, and you know, I think yeah, like you said, they persisted even beyond that because I think, you know, obviously oh, a yeah. lot of these are standard, so you've heard the song in general before, but these versions of it, even listening to it, it's like, oh, I've heard this before. And it is interesting because some of these are songs that I listen to, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, I loved this version, and then others are like, oh, this one, <laughs> uh, God. Well, is there any uh, Christmas music that you generally like to put on this time of year? So the traditional Keck family Christmas, we would, this is, this is such a a fun story. Uh, We'd get up on, my, my mom would have a lot of Christmas CDs, but she didn't, she didn't really play them very often, except on Christmas morning. I would get up, go into the living room, would be sitting around, would be opening the presents and just for background music, my mom Mm -hmm. would put on a Christmas CD and, you know, she's got a lot, but there's really really only one Christmas CD that far surpasses the others in terms of great background music. If you want to focus on something else and you just want some kind of ambient Christmas noise playing in the background, and that is the Kenny G Christmas CD. So... (laughs) Uh, my Christmas morning memories are set to the tune of Kenny G playing Winter Wonderland. Uh, so I've, I've, I've got to say that. The one 
uh, Christmas uh, album that I actually purchased and own is Sarah McLaughlin's Christmas album, okay. the name of which is escaping me, but it's the one that has her just an awesome cover of, of Joni Mitchell's River on it, which is why I bought it. And then the whole album is, is really terrific. Uh, but if you're going to ask me about a particular song, it's got to be I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas by Gayla Peavy because there's just no better Christmas sentiment than that. <laughs> nice. It's funny that you mentioned the Kenny G album because I, I, I don't have it. My parents never had it. But when I was looking mm. up this one, and saw that uh, in the U.S. it's the, I think it was 19th best-selling Christmas album. So I was like, okay, there's that's a, a lot above it. Uh, I looked at number one, and by a long stretch, the number one selling Christmas album in the U.S. is the Kenny G. Christmas album. It's <laughs> it a good over, album. Over 7 million, I think, copies sold in the U.S. alone. Yeah, it's uh, it's good. You put it on while you're opening presents. It's, uh, it's nice. He's a good saxophonist. He <laughs> right. emotes. But yeah, I think you're right. It it is uh, definitely good for having on in the background, which is what a lot of Christmas music is. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, there's two things around Christmas music that I love to put on this time of year. Uh, one is a CD that I picked up, you know, probably in high school. It's a uh, a Rhino compilation, Jingle Bell Jam, a jazz Christmas classics that has like Chet Baker, Duke Ellington, Ella Fitzgerald, a lot of classic jazz musicians doing these All versions right. of Christmas songs. That one's always fun. Uh, another good one to put on the background, but also one where you can kind of focus on it too if you want to. Uh, and then my other go-to of the last 10 or 15 years or so is uh, another podcast, Sound Opinions, every year has a guy by the name of Andy Surzan on who has been for the last 30, 40 years probably collecting these random obscure uh, 45s and 78s of like... L- just tiny labels that are defunct who have of people who have recorded these Christmas songs from mm. like the 50s and 60s into the 70s and has as just the most bizarre collection of random Christmas songs and so every year he comes on sound opinions with a new uh, like hour long mixtape or so that is some of the most entertaining Christmas music I think you'll probably ever hear that's good Christmas music can be real polarizing some of my favorite songs <laughs> are, are Christmas songs holiday songs and also some of the songs I hate the most are holiday songs too oh uh, it's been pretty yeah I think you know there's so many Christmas songs that have been around for so long and it's funny in the ones that he finds there's so many people who have tried to take a stab at what a successful Christmas song might be and mm-hmm. some are, are more successful than others, obviously. But I think there's there's so many little gems like uh, a country-tinged song called uh, What Would Santa Claus Think of You, Daddy, If He Knew You'd Been Drinking Again? <laughs> About a young boy <laughs> pleading to his father. It's like just the most wild songs like that that you could think of. A lot of space-age Santa as the space race was building up. A lot of rockets to right. the moon with Santa on it, that kind of thing. But uh, nuclear Santa Claus. Exactly. Yeah, more missiles than you would expect in any given year. But well, I mean, I mean, it's 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 mistletoe season, right? So <laughs> oh, there, there you go. <laughs> I'm surprised yeah. nobody's uh, made a song of that yet. That's good. Oh, I'm I'm sure they have, and it just it's gonna take uh, it's gonna take digging and finding. That's true. It'll be it hasn't been dug up yet. But those are the things I look forward to music-wise each year. At this point, he's been putting those out for 30 years, and I think I have. Uh, since 2001, I think I have his mix mixtapes from then till now, and which results in about 14 hours of random Christmas songs. 
the way if you if you look up mistletoe spelled by spelled like the the nuclear missile uh there is a youtube video of annoying orange doing mistletoe (laughs) i'm not going to click on this because i'm sure it's going to be terrible but (laughs) probably well at least you weren't the first one to think of it right but uh, it's me it's annoying orange and some uh some people who made shirts on essay <laughs> yeah exactly well this album we're going to discuss today is the opposite of obscure it's like i said one of the best-selling christmas albums of all time packed with some of the most well-known artists of the time uh the, the story all starts with uh, jimmy iovine the engineer and producer had uh, to this point worked with artists like john lennon bruce springsteen stevie nicks meatloaf patty smith just to name a few and december of 84 his father suffered a heart attack and ended up passing away a month later in January. He always loved spending the holidays with his family and didn't want to forever associate them with this tragedy. So he began thinking about putting together a Christmas album as a tribute to his father. He started contacting the artists that he worked with to gauge some interest, and because all of these artists were on different labels, he realized that the only way that it was going to happen is if all the artists agreed not to profit from the album. So Jimmy Iovine's wife, Vicky, had volunteered for the Special Olympics in the past, got the ear of Bobby Shriver, the son of Special Olympics founder Eustace Kennedy Shriver. They all met with A&M Records and successfully pitched the idea to them. Iovine rounded up all of the musicians. Shriver got artist Keith Haring to contribute the artwork for the album. And in October of 87, the album was released. Let's kick it I off. I like the, the story of how the how it came to be a charity album and what it came to be a charity album for. Like you would think with, with something like this, like we start with the idea of let's do something for special Olympics and then the album comes about. And in this case, it's exactly the other way around. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I know it is kind of funny, like to think of the, yeah, the impetus for it being a charity album is that that's really the only way that it could have happened legally. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks law. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fine. I guess we'll make it for charity instead. <laughs> we'll do a nice thing on Christmas, <laughs> damn it. Well, yes, that's how a very special Christmas was born. Uh, so let's kick it off, starting with track one. This is the Pointer Sisters with Santa Claus is Coming to Town. I think this is a fun opening track for it, like the little chatter of uh, like a little Christmas morning, but it does have some definite like holiday Christmas party karaoke vibes as well, I think. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> one, yeah. one of the things, like I really had to think about this when listening to this album, and it's it's something that I had kind of pondered in the past, like what to me is the difference between a really good Christmas song that I like to listen to and one that's that's just bad, especially when it's a classic song like Santa Claus has come into town. Mm-hmm. And I think it's got to be 
one where if like whatever artist it is, they they might put their own spin on it, but at the end of the day, the the artist's personal spin doesn't overwhelm like the basics of the song, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you still kind of come back to you like this is a classic Christmas carol. We're gonna do it in a classic kind of standard traditional way. We're not gonna go over the top with it. Uh, but but we're still kind of recognizably this artist, and some of these songs do better with that than others. I really like this particular version, except for the chatter. The chatter <laughs> just completely knocks me out. Like I don't want to. Like if I want to, if I want to hear three singers talking about what they hope they get on Christmas, I'll listen to the Chipmunk song. <laughs> right. I think for me it only works because it is the first track. So like maybe you know, from here out. You know, it's just the music after that. But I think it uh, to me, it was a fun way to open it. It was kind yeah. of maybe a little unexpected. I guess. <laughs> and it does uh, also feature Clarence Clemens on the saxophone later on in the song. He's always. Mm-hmm. Once the song actually gets going, it's great. Yeah, it is pretty good. Uh, and I, ha- I was looking up all the like original copyrights for all these songs to uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, originally written in 1934 by J. Fred Coots and Haven Gillespie. It's funny to see the how many... There's actually some... Some of these songs are all published within a few years of each other the first time, which mm-hmm. the, it's funny to see when, like, the Christmas boom kind of was originally. It's got to be right around the time of mass media, right? Like, the, the beginning of of radio right where everyone's got a a radio and they're able to just turn on the dial and listen to music whereas before it was a lot more difficult i imagine there's a lot of these great songs that are written in like the 30s and 40s right 30s and 40s and then really the 50s is when it really gets cooking right but but yeah which makes sense because that's as the technology is dispersing you know more and more people are going to have it by then yep well, let's move right along to track two. We have Eurythmics doing Winter Wonderland. Over the ground lies a mantle of white A heaven of diamonds shine down through the night Two hearts are thrilling in spite of the chill and the weather Love knows no season, love knows no climb. Romance can blossom any old time. See, like, we're 26 <laughs> seconds into this song, and I still don't know what the song is. <laughs> you don't recognize it already? <laughs> it's gonna, like, I had to stop it. It's gonna be another 15 seconds before we get to Sleigh Bells Ring. <laughs> we'll give it a little bit more. Let's, let's let it kick in a little bit. All right, here we go. Here in the open, we're walking and hoping together. Sleigh bells ring, I listening in the lane. Snow is glistening, a beautiful sight we're having tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. Okay, ten seconds, but still. <laughs> I do think that one, this of all the ones on here, probably is the most, like, 80s sounding, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the Eurythmics, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it can't not be. Yeah, I mean, it has to sound like that. But it's funny. I was trying to figure out what it reminded me of specifically, and I realized it's, like, the uh, 
the generic on hold music like that that's what the, <laughs> the rhythm of that really sounds like to me a little bit yeah there's like that one that must be like the default that every company uses. And I feel like you hear it all the time. That That's what I was like. I feel like I'm on hold listening to this song. That's what it is. It's because they just they just sampled the, the beginning of Winter Wonderland to, to <laughs> yeah. develop the hold music. <laughs> Maybe. How did they how did they ultimately choose these artists? Was it just the, the people that he had on his on his Rolodex at the time? I think a lot of it was, yeah, people he had worked with in the past. Uh, and then from there, like some of them, their other artist publicists would catch word of it. And if they were interested, they might connect with him. I think like the Eurythmic, yeah, because there were a couple, there was one or two who were on A&M records that I think probably got wind of it as it was coming together. There's also a couple of these, all of these were recorded for this album, except for two, which we'll get to later. But this, so this one was one recorded specifically for it. And Jimmy Iovine does produce most of these, but he did not produce the Eurythmics one. They produced it themselves and then sent it to yeah. him. What are your thoughts about this one? I think it's fine. Other than it sounds like hold music. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, very, it's very 80s and very <laughs> Cisco default hold music, but I think it's still right. not bad. <laughs> I think it's kind of fun, but it's, like I said, it, it dates itself more than any of these other ones, I think. A little bit, yeah. What about you? What do you think? I I don't know if it's necessary. Well, yes, it is. It is dated. Uh, it definitely. This is definitely one for me where the artist puts a little bit too much of their spin on it. Like I still okay. I I like the traditional Winter Wonderland. This is this is also an issue with with Christmas carols in general because you'll have forty different versions of the same song. And if you're listening to the radio or you're listening to Spotify or whatever and one of them comes on and it's not the version that is your favorite, even if it's a song that you like, you're going to be just a little bit disappointed that it's not the perfect version. Mm -hmm. So for every song that has 50 different versions, 49 out of those 50 times, you're going to be at least a little bit disappointed. And for me with Winter Wonderland, like the, the version that I go back to is that kind of classic original. I think it's Dean Martin, right, who does the, the original version. Like that's the one that I really like. So any other version of that is... Uh, is not going to be up to snuff. Although, having said that, I have to double back because it's not the Dean Martin version <laughs> of Winter Wonderland that's my favorite. It's the Kenny G version okay. that starts that album because uh, that's what I that's what I think of when I think of Christmas Morning. Mm -hmm. I don't think of hold music so much. <laughs> yeah. This one, uh, Winter Wonderland originally, is also from 1934, uh, written by Felix Bernard and Richard B. Smith. And yeah, has been, you know, obviously played hundreds and hundreds of times by different artists. But yeah, I agree. It's a little bit, if it's not, there's no particular for me, one version of Winter Wonderland that I'm, that I think of. I'm looking back at this Rhino jazz CD to see if anybody did Winter Wonderland. I don't, mm. I don't think so. Uh, actually, no, you're right. Chet Baker does. But that's also a jazzy version that sounds totally right, different. Right, right. Hard to compare. Yeah. Well, the Pointer Sisters version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town might be the definitive one for me, because the only other version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town that I can think of off the top of my head is the Bruce Springsteen live version, which I really don't like because that one is like, it's got to be two solid minutes of Bruce <laughs> just chatting with the band members in this like obviously scripted uh 
fake banter about <laughs> right. what is Santa going to bring you this year. And then and only then do they get to the song. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Meanwhile, this audience is screaming like it's his big hit from 1984. It's like, you came to see Born in the USA. Don't even front. <laughs> That's the real reason why you don't like the Pointer Sisters chatter at the beginning. It's giving you flashbacks to the Bruce Yes, <laughs> yes, that is correct. I, you, you have diagnosed it correctly. <laughs> you are not wrong. That's funny. And same song even, too. And the same song, yeah. Something about it, I don't know. Gets people chattering. It's the crass commercialism of Christmas. <laughs> people should get hippopotamuses and nothing else. Yeah, traditional. <laughs> well my other favorite christmas like it like recorded christmas song is the john denver 12 days of christmas that he does with the muppets which is another mm -hmm. song that's all about getting gifts and nothing other than that so uh -huh. i'm down with the crass commercialism of christmas i just don't like the scriptedness of it yeah that's fair <laughs> well let's move right along to track three whitney houston doing do you hear what i hear What do you think? This one I really like. Yeah, it's a great one. It's it's classic. It's it's traditional. It's Whitney Houston putting her own spin on, but without like sacrificing the kind of the basic nature of the song. And with Whitney Houston, and I think we talked about this in the when we talked about Whitney Houston's big album, mm -hmm. however many episodes ago that was. Like I'm a little bit hit or miss with Whitney Houston because she has got such a fantastic voice that there are a number of great Whitney Houston songs or like recognized classics that I cannot get into because I really just feel like the sentiment of this song is, hey, I'm Whitney Houston. I've got a great voice. Listen to what I can do with my voice. And you kind of lose the actual sentiment of the song. Uh, in this particular version, uh, this particular track, I don't think you'll lose the sentiment of the song. I think she's got a great voice. She's belting it out. She's awesome. And also you, you get the, the vibe of the song itself, too. She yeah. doesn't always capture it. But when she does, she knocks it out of the park every time. Yeah. Yeah, she has one of the best voices of all time, and I think this song yeah. she does a lot with it. And yeah, it, it on that album of hers, there were certainly plenty of times you're like, man, you're singing the hell out of the song, but it's not mm -hmm. that great of a song. <laughs> but you're making it work as best you can, but you're not given the best maybe to work with to begin yeah. with. Whereas the song, it is a great song, and and she's just belting so much that it's just this has taken me out of the song, like. <laughs> This is this is this is I will always love you syndrome. Like I can't get into Whitney Houston's version of I will always love you because she just sounds so damn happy at the end of it. Like this is a sad <laughs> song. Right. Yeah, it's true. There it should changes. be like a quiver in your voice somewhere. <laughs> changes the intention a little bit from the original. Yeah. But yeah, sounds not the, like not the Gloria Gaynor at the end. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a great one though. Jimmy Iovine produced it himself. I think it's a, it got a great backing band to it. Also, 
And yeah, it's, it does walk that line between sounding like the traditional classic version, whatever that is, which, well, would be from 1962 by Gloria Shane and Noel Regney. But yeah, and of course, Whitney Houston having that background in gospel singing growing up in the choir mm-hmm. sounds right at home in this song. Did you say when this song was written? 1962, yeah. Was it 62? I would have thought that was, I would have thought it was earlier. Yeah, I wonder if at the time it was felt like a, th- a throwback or, you know, if it felt like a modern Christmas Maybe. song. I don't know. I feel like every good Christmas song sounds a little bit like a throwback, right? That's true, yeah. I mean, certainly. And I'm Supposed like... to remind you of your childhood in some way, <laughs> shape, or form. It is, that is, of the ones on here, it's one of the newer ones. Yeah. As far as ones that were, you know, the, the, these aren't the original versions. I guess when it's a religious Christmas song, I think of it as I just assume that it's older. And right. if it's a like Santa coming down the chimney kind of song, then I think it's the '60s. And if it's a romant, if it's a romantic Christmas song, then I think it's from the '80s or '90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's usually fair. I think. Yeah, not always right, but fair. No. Well, the next one is originally from 1947, originally performed by Johnny Moore's Three Blazers. Uh, but this is being performed by Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. This is Merry Christmas, Baby. You can give him a little bit more. <laughs> he does love all right, to change. All right, all right. I just want to say. Merry Christmas, baby. You surely treat me now. Yeah, he loves to build up to it, doesn't he? Oh, my God. So several <laughs> things about this. First uh-huh. of all, uh, he starts singing Merry Christmas, Baby, which is not a Bruce Springsteen hit. <laughs> and the crowd at this Bruce Springsteen concert suddenly erupts as if he's just started to do Brilliant Disguise. You did not come to this show. I don't care if it is a Christmas show. You did not. You're like You were not walking from the car into the arena thinking, oh, man, I hope he sings Merry Christmas, baby. Right. So that eruption of applause is phony, and I don't agree with it. <laughs> uh also, yeah, that was like a minute and a half buildup to to begin the song. Like Bruce Springsteen gets a lot of credit for these like tireless, great three and a half hour shows, but I don't, I don't. That doesn't impress me as much if it's one of these where like every song has a fourteen minute buildup and you only play <laughs> eight songs in the three hours. Like yeah. you're not, you're not fish, Bruce. 
looking at the track list, this is actually the longest song on here. It's four, yeah. four minutes 51. <laughs> yeah. So this, it's Come funny. on, crash commercialism. Time's a wasting. Tell me what you want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've got to find a parking spot in this mall. Time is money. Come on, Bruce. <laughs> and once it starts, it's great. But God, it's a minute and a half. Yeah. It is good, though. I think this is actually one of the two songs that was uh, not recorded for the album specifically. This one was uh, recorded in 1980, actually, at Nassau Coliseum and was a B-side of his song War, which was released as a single from the live 78 or 75 to 85 album. Uh, so then it was donated by him to, for this album. But so yeah, the, it's funny that... He, he, which other song did you said uh, Santa Claus is coming to town? He also Santa Claus too, is coming right? to town, which I always, which I kind of assume is from the same recorded concert, but maybe not. Uh, I wonder if it's the same time period. At least it could be, but it, I just know this is from 1980. I don't know what month. It would be funny if this was like June or something. <laughs> June, <play>. yeah. <laughs> Look, it's Christmas all year round at Nassau Coliseum. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, th this was at some point, or 1958, covered by Chuck Berry as well, which I feel like was probably the mm. version Bruce is, is referencing the most. But yeah, I don't really know this song. I had heard other versions of it too, but yeah, th I think, and that's probably part of what's cool about it too, is that it, it's not one of those super recognizable Christmas songs, but it's right. still a pretty fun one. And Bruce and the band obviously has fun with it. I think it's still a good recording, you know, once you get to the actual song. Mm-hmm. Well, moving right to track five, we have The Pretenders doing their version of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Have yourself a merry little Christmas Let your heart be From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Yeah, now see, this one I can get behind. Yeah, you like this one? I like this one. It's clearly the pretenders. They stick with the, the traditionalism of it. They get right to the song without any yada yada <laughs> at the beginning of it. They don't play jingle bells at the beginning to, to fool you into thinking it's jingle bells and then <laughs> switch it up like so many songs do. Yeah. This is just this is this is exactly how to do a Christmas song. I love it. I think for me this one was a it I would have liked something a little bit more, I don't know, exciting from the pretenders. I think part of what's fun about Chrissy Hind is she brings kind of an attitude to a lot of the songs, which I think yeah. is kind of checked out in this one. And I thought the the vocal syncopation was a little awkward at times on this one. But ultimately, I thought it was it was fine. I just thought it could have been cooler. Yeah. It's kind of difficult to do cool and Christmas all mm -hmm. at the same time. Yeah, that's definitely uh, true. Unless you just go all the way down the road with it and do... Well, I mean, we're going to get to Run DMC in a second. Uh, actually, no, not even Run DMC, because we're, we're going to get to that. But that's kind of a hokey Christmas song anyway, too. But, like, what's the Pogues Christmas song or the oh. Ramones? Mm -hmm. Like... If you're yeah, gonna if you're gonna do cool and Christmas, like you gotta go just all the way, like 
180 degrees away from like the traditional Christmas song. Yeah. I think Bruce's Because if you try to do cool, cool and traditional Christmas, it's just going to wind up sounding hokey. Yeah. Granted, Merry Christmas Baby is not the most traditional, but I thought Bruce's was still pretty cool and Christmas. A little, yeah. But it's, it's also a blues live, song, though, know, yeah. too, right? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, this one is, you know, you need a couple low key tracks in here, too. You can't just be right. All, you can't keep your foot on the gas the whole time. <laughs> but uh, for the record, and actually, you, you know this for a fact that. Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, originally 1944, by Hugh Martin yeah. and Ralph Blaine for uh, Judy Garland in Meet Me in St. Louis. It's a great scene. Probably the best scene in that movie, actually. Yeah. And of course... Definitely what, definitely a better song than uh, Ding 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 Goes the Trolley. <laughs> How does the uh, original version compare to The Pretenders, you think? Uh, the Pretenders are faster. Uh... <laughs> I mean, that, I mean, that's the thing with Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Like, it's a really sad song in the context of the film and just, like, you take the lyrics. So even this Pretenders version that is kind of slow, especially coming out of Merry Christmas, Baby, and actually this is, this is definitely a, a slowed-down version compared to the, the other four that we've already listened to. Like, it was four pretty quick songs, and then you get Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas where the pace really slows down. But even with that slowed down pace, it's still faster and rockier than like Judy Garland sitting at the windowsill longingly looking out at 1904 St. Louis and singing about dreams that she'll never see come true. Yeah, (laughs) definitely happier than that, I think. Yeah. (laughs) But well, still a great song when Judy Garland does it, too. Yeah. It's a yeah, great one uh, in general. Yeah. Well, let's move on to uh, the next track. John Cougar Mellencamp doing his version of I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. kind of a fun like honky-tonk version kind of yeah like i'm always i'm i've heard this song a bunch of times because this is one that played on the light rock station Mm -hmm. i'm always surprised at the fact that it's zydeco (laughs) like don't think of that from from john mellencamp but yep uh it works yeah this is this is one where I don't like the song, but I like his version of it. Like this is definitely the best version of this song that I don't generally like that I've ever heard. Yeah, I think that's probably true. This is not one that I would turn to normally, but I think he does a pretty fun version of it, and obviously has fun yeah. with it. Mm-hmm. And he was actually eager to work on this compilation because he, as a child, said he had a spinal operation that made his uh, contribution for this album personal because he almost had a debilitating 
spinal disease himself that he, mm -hmm. without an operation he wouldn't have uh, been able to sing. So that's that's <laughs> why he was. That's why he wanted to do something for the Special Olympics, or that's why he yes. wanted to cover I Saw Mommy <laughs> Kissing Santa Claus? Yeah, for the Special Olympics, no, unrelated okay, to good. whether or not uh, he saw Mommy Because if it was the Santa other Claus. one, I was going to need a couple more sentences of explanation. <laughs> <laughs> this was a really personal song for me, because as a child, I did see Mommy Kissing Santa Claus, and I never got to the bottom of it. While I was recovering from a spinal <laughs> operation. I could do nothing about it. I was sick in bed. God. <laughs> Uh, the original version of the song, 1952, written by Tommy Connor, performed by Jimmy Boyd. But th this is like one of the this is one of the prime 50s songs. I feel like mm -hmm. there's a lot of a lot of uh, <laughs> like mommy kissing and Santa kiss. A lot of Santa getting around in the 50s. It seems. Yeah. Like. But now we'll go to uh, probably the oldest song on this uh, compilation. Sting doing his version of Gabriel's me message. So that was the other song that was recorded prior to this compilation, originally the B-side of Russians from Sting's 1985 Dream of the Blue Turtles, originally a 13th century Basque hymn. Aaron, what do you think of Gabriel's message? I think it's nice. <laughs> I don't know why it survived eight centuries, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fine. Religious reasons, I'm sure. But there had to have been some great 15th century songs that just didn't survive for whatever reason. Probably some just lost bangers from the 1500s. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this one's fine. I've never been a big fan of Sting or the police in general. I always like to say that they are some of the most talented musicians I've ever seen, making some of the most boring music I've ever heard. Yeah. And that is kind of the vibe I get from this one, too. Yeah. Yeah, I've never never been a huge fan of Sting or the police for that matter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I got to see the police at a festival at one point, uh like two thousand fourteen maybe, something like that. Reunion. And it show? was yeah, a reunion where they were like, uh, I guess I need some more money and that's the very much vibe that you got from the show. <laughs> I was like, wow, you guys do not want to be here, it seems like. Yeah. I got a little bit... I, I'm I'm still okay with that if it's a band that I really like. Because I got to see Simon and Garfunkel in concert on a reunion tour. And mm. they were, you know, they were fine being mm -hmm. up on stage together. But you could tell, like, this is for the money and, you know, the banter yeah. is clearly scripted. And, you know, <laughs> right. it wasn't the it wasn't the best show I've ever seen in my life. It was quite good, though. I had a good time. Yeah. I think the other thing now about, you know, after hearing this album a few times, part of my disinterest in this song is just knowing that the next song coming up 
is one of the best ones, of course. Uh, Run DMC's Christmas in Hollis. Let's take a listen. So this is the only original song for the compilation. And yeah, like I said, I think this is one of the best ones. This isn't from 1932? <laughs> no, believe it or not. I'm okay with this song. Like, it's, yeah. it's good. It, it, it violates two rules for me. Number one, actually, number one is not actually a, a rule violation. I'm just not super into, to like, old school hip-hop Uh I think hip-hop gets better when you get into the 90s, um, and this is definitely a, a very old-school song, so it takes me a little mm-hmm. while to get into it. That is not that is not a deal-breaker. The deal-breaker for me is that this song, like so, so very many Christmas songs, thinks it's being clever by opening with this little Jingle Bells riff (laughs) as if no other Christmas song has ever done that before, but millions have and millions more will. And every single time I hear that, it's like, oh my God, just like do a Silver Bells riff or a Winter Wonderland (laughs) riff. But every single song is like, what if just to drive home the point that this is a Christmas song, what if we did that din, 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 din. Joni Mitchell's River does it too, and that kind of <laughs> takes me out. But she doesn't do it until the very end, so I get to like I'll shut the song off before that. Okay, happens. <laughs> you can get out of the way before you hear. It. I have very strong opinions about Christmas songs. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I like this one a lot. It has a it's built around a sample of uh, Clarence Carter's 1968 Backdoor Santa, uh, and it t- took some convincing from Run DMC or for Run DMC to actually make the song because they didn't want to, to make. Uh, you know, just a cover of a standard Christmas song. They wanted to do something mm-hmm. unique. And it was actually their publicist, Bill Adler, who played them Backdoor Santa and thought, oh, okay, we can make something out of this. And that's when they all wrote their, their verses for uh, Christmas and Hollis. But uh, it's also famously in the beginning of Die Hard, if you remember that. Uh, but yeah, I think you know this is one of the reasons I got this You know it's been like CD. 30 years since I've actually seen Die Hard. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm not one to I keep to meaning say, to get like, around to it. I, I think it's still a fun movie. I, I would oh, not. Oh, yeah, no, no doubt. I'm not one of those people who demands that it be considered a Christmas movie by any means, but yeah. it does take place at Christmas, so there's that. Yeah, no, the people who demand that it's a Christmas movie are very loud and demanding about it because they're fully aware that it's not a Christmas movie and they have to be <laughs> uh, contrarian. Yeah. And but, uh, someone should drop the diehard argument and start making that argument about Batman Returns, which by the same standards also should be classified as a Christmas movie because it too uh, takes place on Christmas. Yeah, definitely. It'd be a good double feature, actually. 
It actually would, yeah. I'd be, I'd be <laughs> down with that. Yeah. But not on Christmas, any other day but Christmas. Any other day, yeah. And in June, after the Springsteen concert. Right, right. Well, let's go on to track nine of the Christmas compilation. This is U2 doing Christmas, parentheses, Baby, Please Come Home. It's Christmas. Baby, please come home. That's a good one. Yeah, this is the other reason I got the CD to begin with, which was for this song. Nice. This, uh, this Man, one you would really always... must hate Gabriel's message then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's getting right in the way of the two best songs. Uh. But uh, this one, for a long time, I just assumed that U2 had made this song for the first, like, originally, because it still into the 90s was played on all the rock stations around Christmas time. Uh, but originally, 1963, written by Jeff Barry, Ellie Greenwich, and Phil Spector, performed by Darlene Love on the Phil Spector's uh, Christmas compilation. And, and her actually, Darlene's fantastic. And she actually sings background with you too on this song too. So it's oh, cool I didn't that know they that. Got her. Yeah. Nice. But yeah, this one's great. The band sounds great. Bono sounds great. I think it's a great song. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I got on this one. It's just really good. <laughs> it is just really good. Yeah. Well, let's let's move on to track ten. Then we have Madonna doing Santa Baby. Santa Baby, slip a sable under the tree for me. Been an awful good girl, Santa Baby, and hurry down the chimney tonight. Baby, an outer space convertible to light blue. I'll wait up for you, dear Santa baby, and hurry down the chimney tonight. What do you think? And see, this one is fine. Uh, <laughs> the the problem that I have, I think the only problem that I have with with this one is that she's so clearly trying to like redo the classic original that i just like there's no reason for it i just want to hear the original mm-hmm. again yeah this is a a very divisive version of the song it seems like depending on how much the like kind of baby voice that she's doing is bothering you or not but yeah originally 1953 uh performed by eartha kit originally uh and yeah I think this is another fine version, but it, yeah, certainly it's not one that I would turn to in general, but I think yeah. it's fine. And I'm actually okay with Madonna's voice on it. It's just, like like I said, like you, you like a song that where the artist puts their own spin on it, and what, she's, what I think she's doing here is she's trying to put Eartha Kitt's spin on it, 
which, and I, I think she does a perfectly fine job, but like if you try to do a song exactly like the artist before, then you might as well just play the artist before. Like you're not, you're never going to do Eartha Kit better than Eartha Kit. So <laughs> just be Madonna. Yeah, I think that's true. It's, it's one of the least probably like different sounding, right? As far as, yeah. especially the arrangement. But so it is, it's and, almost the most traditional practically on here. Yeah, pretty much, right? Like, and, and it's good. Like if, if Eartha Kitt's version didn't exist and someone had presented this song to Madonna and said, hey, how about this? And she had taken it and recorded it exactly this way. I would be totally down with this song. Like, this would probably mm -hmm. be one of my favorite songs on the album. As it is, though, like Eartha Kitt came first and did it like in that exact way slightly better and again it's the it's the it's the curse of you've got 50 different versions of the same song if it's not the one that you like then even if you like the second version it's going to come off as a little disappointing yeah totally which having said that i also really like darlene love's version of christmas baby please come home probably better than the u2 version but i i also really like the u2 version so i don't know what i'm talking about clearly <laughs> yeah it's true that one is still it's sim it's not too dissimilar from the original version there either but i don't think yeah maybe a little more rocking just because the arrangement but but yeah it's all maybe it's just that that's a better song in general and that's what i'm liking about it possibly but santa baby is fun yeah, it's, it's another like gimme gimme song. Totally. And and you you, you get to the obvious like material girl comparisons, right? Yeah, this, yeah. From Madonna specifically. It is the perfect Madonna Christmas song, right? If Madonna's going to do one, it's no surprise it's, it's got to be this one, yeah. Either that or do the pretenders thing, go all the way in the opposite direction and do like Gabriel's message or something, which I could uh -huh. also see her doing. Yeah. That's yeah, definitely. It might maybe a few years later she would have done something like that. I think like a really sexy version of Away in a Manger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just something really, really confusing. <laughs> well, let's move on to track eleven. This is Bob Seger doing the Little Drummer Boy. went to high school with Bob Seger. Oh, really? They didn't know each other, but they breathed the same air for a few years. In the same class? Like uh, I think I think one of them was a senior and the other was a freshman or something like that. Okay. Well, that's cool. I think this is a totally I, competent version of the song. I like this song. Yeah. It has the requisite drum that you would want to hear in this song. <laughs> <laughs> you can say you hate it. It's fine. <laughs> No, I don't hate it. I think I do just think it's <laughs> fine. It's a good song that yeah. is done well with this nothing is a really. Song. It has drums. What more do you want? <laughs> yeah, he sings during it. <laughs> he can the carry a that... tune most of the time, I guess. What I did find interesting was the original version, written in 1951 by Catherine Kennicott Davis, 
was originally performed by the actual Von Trapp family. Really? Yeah, that's the original version of this song. Oh, nice. This is That's another song that I would have thought was from, like, 1886. <laughs> yeah, I know. And now I, I, also, I also because it's religious. Like, I just assume if it's right. a religious Christmas carol that it's a classic, traditional, like, at least 120 years old. Mm-hmm. Even 51 almost seems late. Like, if it was, like, 30 or 40-something, right. I would have thought that, yeah. Yeah. Or a depression era, like this is very much a depression era Christmas carol. Like yeah. I don't have, I'm poor, I don't have anything to give, so I'll I'll give the only thing that I have. Like this is definitely a, a suffering through tough times kind of song. Yeah, I'm sure that was all still fresh in everybody's mind in the Van, Von Trapp family. But oh yeah, totally. Uh, we'll say this version for me, and I 100 percent. I'm fully aware that I'm in the minority on this one, but I like the Bob Seeker version much better than the way more popular Bing Crosby, David Bowie version. Yeah, is that a popular version? Yeah, I think I so. Know it's, I mean, I guess I know. I know it's well known. I've, I, I don't think it's that great of a version either. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I'd probably like this version better as well. I feel like I would like the the David Bowie Bing Crosby version better if I thought the the two like cuz Bowie's singing one thing and and Crosby's mm-hmm. singing another and I feel like I would like it better if I thought that the two verses actually meshed with each other but I really feel like you're just superimposing one song on top of another. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah, I always thought it was a weird version and that it was just like interesting because they were singing together right right no I, I i'm pretty sure that's a i'm pretty sure that i'm pretty sure that if you surveyed people they would say that they liked the the bowie bing version yeah you're probably right maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe everyone thinks that and everyone secretly <laughs> hates it <laughs> maybe, you're maybe free just, america yes you're free to admit that it's not a good version <laughs> you can still like bing crosby and david bowie and yeah. also dislike this this version of, of Little Drummer Boy. <laughs> what about uh, Bowie and Jaggers dancing in the street? People don't like that, right? Uh, you get the hell out of my office. <laughs> Actually, I don't think I know that one. Uh, I mean, I don't I think it's another one where, like, it's fun that they're together, but I don't think this is a good version. Yeah. Now Bowie and Queen, on the other hand, that was oh. that was a match made in heaven. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Maybe it just has to be an original song that that Bowie's collaborating. Oh yeah. On. If it's a cover, it's going to not be good. There you go. Well, we've got another cover, of course, coming up now. Track number twelve from Brian Adams. This is "Run Rudolph Run." Another so pretty this good is one. a great song. <laughs> yeah. 
the the fun thing about that one is it's actually so the original version 1958 by chuck berry was the b-side to chuck berry's version of merry christmas baby that Springsteen is obviously coming. Really? Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I've I've never heard Chuck Berry's Merry Christmas Baby, but I've heard Chuck Berry's Run Rudolph Run a whole bunch of times. Yeah. It's the only problem with the Brian Adams version is that it's really good, but Chuck Berry did it a little bit better. So I, I <laughs> right. listened to this and it's like, this is really good. Man, you know what I'd really like to be listening to right now? <laughs> Chuck Berry's version of Run Rudolph Run. Yeah, there's a bit of uh, a Marty McFly vibe of this song, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, that's just all kinds are wrong right there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, this is a good version still. I think it's still fun. But it, but like you said, it is like, yeah, the Chuck Perry version's great too. It's another good rock and roll song. Yeah. Well, I guess we can move on to uh, track number 13, Unlucky number 13, Bon Jovi doing Backdoor Santa. Santa's on his own naughty list. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think this one is by far the worst song on the album for me. Ooh. All right. Uh, it, this is the only I one don't... that I actively skip when I listen to it. Oh, what do I think is the worst song on this album? Maybe Gabriel's Message. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't disagree with you. Like, this is definitely far down on the list. And it, def it, it also violates a few rules. Uh... Number one being, once again, the crowd erupts in applause <laughs> as if they're about to hear you give love a bad name, which I think they thought they were about to hear <laughs> because you never hear the crowd after that original eruption. It's like, yo, yeah. this is backdoor Santa, isn't it? <laughs> well, that little keyboard part sounds like it could, it's going to be something. Right. I don't think it sounds like it's going to be this song, but... <laughs> Like the crowd just goes nuts as if like, oh, finally, they played all their originals from this uh, <laughs> new songs from their new album that no one cares about. Finally, we're going to get to the good stuff. Yeah, it's backdoor Santa. All right. I'm going to yeah. the bathroom. Well, it is funny, though. It was recorded also at the Nassau Coliseum, the same place that the Bruce live song was recorded. Hmm. So that's about that's about my, the extent of my interest in this song. Was this released like originally on this album then, though? Yes. I had to have been. And actually, the other part that was kind of interesting was uh, they were convinced to do it by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was, of course, married to Maria Shriver, also daughter oh, of... Oh, from uh, the Shriver family, yeah. Mm -hmm. There is a connection. Yeah. 
But yeah, they actually. Bon Jovi not doing album. I can be very convincing. <laughs> yeah, so I cannot do I... a convincing Schwarzenegger accent, but I can be very <laughs> convincing in other ways. I guess he called him up and told him, you go go watch this Bon Jovi concert. I convinced him to play a Christmas song. Let's <laughs> do a secret recording. <laughs> so, okay, so is this this is not a Bon Jovi original, is it? No, this is uh, Clarence Carter, 1968, the same one. That, oh, uh, oh, right, 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 that they sampled, sampled from yeah. the other one. Right, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And, and okay, the original now I need version, to hear the Clarence Carter original because I love Clarence Carter. It's good. The, yeah, the original version of the song is great. And it sounds, I mean, you'll as soon as you hear the first five seconds, you'll know the part that they take for uh, Christmas in Hollis. But that's right, you know, it's a right. t- 12-bar blues song, but it's done much better than bon jovi does i think well now we get into the we begin to get to the denouement of the of the album with uh track 14 allison moyette's coventry carol one actually this is uh, this is a good one and yeah. uh, it's another uh it was recorded originally in 1974 i'm just kidding it's a 16th century english carol <laughs> the, that synth sound though I, it was another one where i kept trying to place it and i feel like it's uh i finally figured out it's basically the exact same sound that they use in shout and when the little synth comes in about a minute into shout from tears for fears it's like the exact oh, same synth yeah. line yeah, I think this is a nice one. I had to look up. Had you heard of Alison Moyette before? No, I actually literally just looked her up while we were <laughs> listening to that clip. I know. That was the only artist where I that I had not heard of before when I got this. And yeah, I looked her up today. Uh, the band Yaz, or Yazoo, as they were Yazoo. in the UK. Uh, I recognized a couple of their songs, surprisingly, and then she had some solo songs that I had never recognized. But yeah, that was this is the first real introduction uh, of her to me. We're going to make a great album, see? We're going to have you 2 We're going to have Bruce Springsteen. We're going to have Allison Moyette. We're going to have Stevie Nicks. Like, wait, wait, wait. Go back, one. Go back. <laughs> Go back. <laughs> yeah, Stevie Nicks, you heard me. <laughs> I'll produce away, Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy, you got the green light. <laughs> Jimmy, you're well, a yeah. loose cannon, but you're the best we got. <laughs> well, closing it out for us. Number 15, Stevie Nicks herself doing Silent Night. Let's take a listen.
perfect closing song. And I would be fine with this, uh, but this is actually one of the songs that I find the most irritating. <laughs> because, um, like, all that that we just heard was great, and then they go back to the chorus, and it's like, Silent Night, well, it was a... Holy, and it's like, oh my God, don't add lyrics. <laughs> I, I don't mind that part. I think that's actually where Stevie starts to sound the best. I think she takes a minute to warm up in this song. I feel like it doesn't sound the best she sounded, I think, in the first verse, but by the end, I think she sounds great. Yeah. It's just there's something about, well, it was a. Like, <laughs> you don't believe what you're saying. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's like. Uh, and I love him. Stevie Nicks. Like, I'm oh, all yeah. about Fleetwood Mac. Like, you know this. We've talked about this. But <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, not not this song. Break, breaks one of the rules of uh, Aaron's Christmas It does. Classics. Yeah. Don't add shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Very Special Christmas went on to become a very successful album. Over 4 million copies sold worldwide as of 2014. Been a number of follow-up albums, a dozen albums in total to this point, all benefiting the Special Olympics. They've raised over a hundred million dollars for the organization. Great success and great album, I'd say. What do you what do you think overall of the album? I think it's really good. Um, I'm not gonna run out and buy it, uh, mm-hmm. but I like it's it's such a solid album from top to bottom. And when you like when you said that about Backdoor Santa being far and away the worst. That threw me because for me, I don't think there is far and away the worst on this one. I think there's there's a couple of songs that that kind of hit some of my pet peeves when it comes to Christmas songs, but they're still good. Like Merry Christmas Baby is still good. Silent like Stevie Nicks' Silent Night is still good. It just like it hits a pet peeve in the chorus, and that's literally the only reason I don't like it. But mm-hmm. uh but even yeah, those it, songs I'm I'm good with. I mean, if you're looking to hear a dozen or so, you know, familiar Christmas songs, I think you'll get great versions of all of them on this album. The eclecticness of it is really interesting because like for a, for an album to come out in in 1987, this is still this is still at a time when when black artists were being uh were being segregated on the billboard charts onto a separate chart called black music, which was mm-hmm. an actual thing in the eighties. Uh, and this is the context in which this album is being released. So for, for run DMC to be on this album is kind of a revolutionary thing, actually. Like we we listened to it today and we just totally take it in stride. But I imagine when this came out in 1987, like that would have been a big deal. Yeah, I mean, they were a big deal in general at this point because this is after Raising Hell. They've got Walk This Way out there now at this point. So, I mean, right. they're, this is this is part of their wave of, you know, introducing hip-hop to the, the wider audience. Right, still, right. But, like, the, the, you know, the moms in Oak Park who are going out and right. buying this album, this is going to be the first rap song that they will have purchased. So, yeah, that's, that's true. Cool. For the million people who bought it that first year... You know, you're mm-hmm. getting your standard classic ones you might expect, but then you're also getting Run DMC. Yeah. Yeah, so it is a little subversive in that, uh, that it kind of integrates all of these styles and artists into one album that every minivan will be playing for the next <laughs> forever, really. Yeah, right. Like, still to this day, right? Mm-hmm. 
Well, let us know what your favorite Christmas tunes are. You can follow us on Twitter at Andy Hears It, Facebook.com slash Andy Hears It. Thank you. Wait, wait, wait. Are we we done? (laughs) Do we not do a top five? I've I've been like flipping my top five back and forth this whole time. Well, let's do it. Let's let's get a top five. You go first. What's your top five? All right, cool. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little subversive, and uh, I was gonna say Brian Adams' Run Rudolph Run, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give that one honorable mention and go with Allison Moyette's Coventry Carol for number five. Okay. Because uh, I, I really do think it's a great song, and and for that to be a standout on this otherwise kind of pop rock album, I think is is pretty pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four is U two, uh, Baby Please Come Home. Not as good as Darlene Love, but still really, really good just in and of itself. Uh, mm-hmm. I really like The Pretenders, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. I put that one at number three. Okay. Uh, but my, my, t- my top two far and away are Bob Seeker's Little Drummer Boy at number two. Uh, but number one is Whitney. Do you hear what I hear? Nice. Yeah, those are good. With several That's... honorable mentions. Like There's a couple of other songs that I would like to have gone in the top five, like Brian Adams, but... Uh, but Whitney Houston takes it, I think. Yeah, I think that's that's a good list. Let's see. I think for me, I would go. I'll, I, my number five, I think, would be Run, Run Rudolph Run. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I would go. Uh, Do you hear what I hear? Mm-hmm. And then, then probably Merry Christmas, Baby from Bruce Springsteen. Uh, then you two's Christmas, Baby, Please Come Home, and number one would gotta be Christmas and Hollis from Run DMC. Yeah, I think that's. Those are the five that certainly I would go back to first if I wasn't going to listen to the whole album, which most of the time I'm just going to put the whole album on anyway. Right, right. Might as well. They <laughs> didn't have that little Jingle Bells riff at the very beginning. Yeah. <laughs> who, who even knows? Who even knows? I know. It could be a whole different universe out there where that's the case. <laughs> oh, so 2020 is Run DMC's fault? All right. <laughs> Well, let us know what your favorite Christmas tunes are. You can follow us on Twitter at AndyHearsIt, Facebook.com slash AndyHearsIt. Email us at AndyHearsIt at gmail.com. We'll be back at the end of January with a best of the 80s episode. Looking back on all the great songs we've heard these last two seasons. Counting down our favorites. You're not going to want to miss it. Thank you to Jimmy Iovine and all the people behind A Very Special Christmas. Thank you to everyone out there listening. Have a safe and happy holiday. And thank you, Aaron, for joining me. Thank you. Until next time, don't forget... It's never too late to discover great Christmas music that's new to you. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs>